0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads dot com. This podcast may have explicit content and also has this implicit request. If you follow me on Twitter, why not follow? The Gist at Slate Gist. It's Monday, May 27th, 2019. From Slate is the Gist, I'm Mike Pesca. Monday, May 27th, 2019. That is, it is, we're living in Memorial Day, and we don't usually put out an episode on such holidays, but today I'm going to... And it will be a throwback episode. I've been thinking a lot, maybe you have too, about impeachment. And we have done a lot of discussions about that subject in general, that subject specifically, the removal of a president. So you will be hearing two previously our just interviews on the topic of impeaching Donald Trump. Is it possible? Should it be done? And they're not really that old. The first interview with former Congresswoman Liz Holtzman aired on December 7th, 2018. The second with David Priest aired a few weeks later on January 2nd, 2019. It was our first interview of the year. We sensed all these things coming. Now, because they're old, you might hear some references to... Uh, the Mueller report being in the future. It is, of course, in the past and yet still might dictate our future. So enjoy these two conversations. We will be back tomorrow, of course, with an interview about impeachment. But the impeachee in question is Andrew Johnson. Historian Brenda Wineapple will be talking about Mr. Johnson. See you then. Youngest woman ever elected to the House of Representatives, beating an incumbent from a borough of New York in the Democratic primary, going on to win office, causing a sensation, You think you know who I'm talking about, but you don't. I'm talking about Elizabeth Holtzman, or as I knew her all those years growing up in New York, Liz Holtzman. She is now the author of The Case for Impeaching Trump. She served on the Judiciary Committee that did just that or recommended the impeachment of Richard Nixon. Former Congresswoman Elizabeth Holtzman joins me. Hello. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So I'm going to get to impeachment, but I want to ask you a question or two. When you joined the House of Representatives, how many women were there? Oh, I think there were fewer than 20. Yeah. So were you treated, you're a member of Congress, you should be afforded all the rights and status, but were you? Were there elements of discrimination because you were a
1: woman? Well, I'll tell you, when I was uh, lobbying not to get on the House Judiciary Committee, um, I didn't want to be on the committee, even though it turned out to be right. really the right committee to be on. But I it didn't, didn't know seem, that. it didn't seem like a plum assignment at the time. Definitely not. I went to one of the members of the Ways and Means Committee who was instrumental in making the selection of committee assignments. And he looked at me and he said, Nah, Ms. Holtzman, just because you're a woman and a Jew you don't have anything to worry about here. (laughs) But you want to know something? He was right. (laughs) Yeah. Just to give you some. I was really upset by that comment, but uh, he turned out to be right. Because in the end, the seniority system, which was at work, allowed me to move up in the system, and I became chair of a subcommittee. On top of that, um, because of my work on the House Judiciary Committee, which during the impeachment process against Richard Nixon, which won the respect of the American people, my colleagues in the House were very grateful to all of us who served on that committee because we restored the reputation of the House of Representatives. So I got a little extra. <laughs> Uh, I might have deserved it, but I got a little extra uh, respect and uh, support in the House.
0: Okay, let's get on to uh, the impeaching or the case for impeaching Trump. It starts off with an argument against those like Alan Dershowitz, your former professor, who would say that while we might find Trump's actions objectionable or immoral, the remedy is not an impeachment remedy. It's if you want to vote vote him
1: out, vote him out. Or if you want to oppose his policies, why do you say Dershowitz is wrong? Well, Dershowitz is wrong for several reasons. The framers of the Constitution actually had this very debate. Should there be impeachment to remove a president from office? Some people said, we don't need impeachment. We've got elections every four years. What do we need impeachment for? Others came back and said, think about the damage a president can do until the election takes place during the four years of office. That was the argument that won. The framers understood they needed to deal with a rogue president in office. And then there were serious conversations and debates about what the grounds were for impeachment. The framers were trying to walk a fine line. They didn't want the Congress to control the president. They wanted a strong president. On the other hand, they wanted to be able to preserve democracy, and they knew a president could destroy democracy in many ways. And so they created three grounds for impeachment— treason, which is defined in the Constitution, bribery, which is a pretty well understood term, Mm -hmm. and then something called high crimes and misdemeanors. High crimes and misdemeanors is a very obscure term. Most people have no idea what it means, and sad to say, Professor Dershowitz doesn't either, because a high crime and misdemeanor doesn't talk about a normal crime. It means a crime committed by somebody in political or public office. Right.
0: People maybe hear that phrase and say, oh, serious crimes and misdemeanors. But then think about it. Why would the word misdemeanors be put in there if you meant serious. So high refers to the office, but this opens a door. And I know that you quote Professor Black and and, uh, Cass Sunstein. Does high crimes and misdemeanors in your estimation, is the definition of that
1: anything Congress wants it to be? No, that's what Gerald Ford said when he was trying to impeach Justice William Douglas. He said, of course, Congress can impeach anybody for any grounds. I mean, I guess Congress can do what it wants to do, but if Congress is adhering to the law, and not abusing its powers, then it has to adhere to the definition.
0: Well, that's what, in a way, I'm doing Dershowitz's work for him. He does say a president should be only impe- uh, impeached for criminal acts. But that's wrong. But, totally wrong. But then if he <laughs> could be impeached for non-criminal acts, yes. what is the definition? For definition is whatever Congress yes, says. Yes, but
1: that was, that was not accepted yes. at that time. And we created a pretty good definition during the impeachment proceedings against Richard Nixon, which won not only uh, respect from all the members of the House of Representatives and from the Senate, there's no question that Nixon resigned rather than be actually convicted by Mm -hmm. the Senate and removed from office, but the definition was one that people could understand. Namely, it's an egregious misuse of the power of the office of president that threatens the democracy, the rule of law, or the civil liberties of Americans. That's a, I know it's not a precise standard, but it's a pretty strong standard. It eliminates spitting on the sidewalk, getting a traffic ticket. It focuses on the, using the powers of the presidency to subvert the Constitution, to oppress the people. That to create great and dangerous offenses. The framers did not want to limit themselves to crimes. In fact, there wasn't, at the time they voted for the Constitution, there wasn't a statute book yet. So how could they have said it's going to be crimes?
0: Not to be Donald Trump's defense attorney because Mr. Giuliani is doing a job. I don't know if it's an able job, but... You know, if there was no underlying crime or misdeed and maybe even if he doesn't perceive to be an underlying crime or misdeed, his statements calling it a witch hunt, his perhaps you could even argue his removal of an FBI director who seemed unduly obsessed with that, many of his actions, if they don't actually stem from actual misdeeds – I think he would argue are excusable.
1: But you don't think so? First of all, I want to go back to the House Judiciary Committee and the precedent that we set. I want to make mm-hmm. it very clear. The House Judiciary Committee, which is the only con- – uh, the action against Richard Nixon, the only impeachment effort that has withstood the test of time and historical scrutiny. It's now almost 50 years or about 50 years, half right. a century. Because Andrew we Johnson made doesn't. It doesn't. Right. And the one against Clinton doesn't. Right. But what we established as a standard is that it doesn't have to be a crime. Richard Nixon was never charged with a crime in the Articles of Impeachment. In my book, I have the Articles of Impeachment against Richard Nixon. You will not find any reference to a statute. You will not find any reference to violation of the criminal law. What you will find is abuse of power and what you will find is egregious misdeeds by the president. So let's get away from criminal conduct. We don't need that. What we need is a serious, egregious, abusive power by the president.
0: What is this book's relationship with the pending Mueller report? I assume pending. Is it a case of Dianu? This alone is good enough, even without the Mueller report. Well, no, I don't say that there's
1: a ground for impeachment. The only specific ground I think that there is now that we don't really need a thorough investigation of is the pardon offer. But What an investigation would show would be how many other offers were made at Trump's behalf of pardons to keep people quiet.
0: Would it be better for our democracy if he were impeached based on essentially the case you've made? No further smoking guns that Mueller unearthed. So uh, basically the knowledge that we have now. So that's one set of facts or... For some reason, the votes aren't there. Something or impeachment, but not conviction happens, and then the president President Trump is roundly defeated at the polls. What would be better for our democracy?
1: best for the democracy is for us thoroughly to examine the abuses, the apparent abuses of power, and apparent misconduct by the President of the United States. That's what has to be done. Congress was given under the Constitution. The framers put the power of impeachment, which they felt was necessary, not four years for an election, not the Dershowitz argument or whoever's making that argument, but that we have to have impeachment. Who has the power and who therefore has the responsibility to act? It was given to Congress because it's closest to the people. The House of Representatives is where it starts. So that's what has to happen. Congress has to act here. Congress is given the responsibility to preserve the democracy. We have a president who seems... On the face of it, to have abused the power and committed possible impeachable offenses, Congress has to conduct the investigations. And if the investigations produce the evidence, then it has to move towards impeachment.
0: I don't know if you think that Ronald Reagan should have been impeached over Iran-Contra. Those articles were drawn up, too. But if we look back at every Republican president since Nixon, if you are recommending impeachment to most of them,
1: does that color not, our mm-hmm.
0: interpretation of you calling no, impeachment think, of Trump? No, I think—I
1: just—look— The fact of the matter is that Congress has been very timid. Why they didn't go after Bush, I don't know. I mean, there were people in the House of Representatives who participated in the decisions about torture. I mean, so there could have been a self-interest involved. So I, I don't know why Congress didn't do it. I think what we have now in the United States is an imperial presidency. That's not what the framers wanted. We tried to correct that in connection with Nixon, when there were actually not only crimes but egregious abuses of power. Remember, Nixon was also named an unindicted co-conspirator by the Watergate grand jury. They wanted to indict him. The Watergate grand jury we know wanted to indict Richard Nixon for crimes that his, his aides were indicted for, and the special prosecutor said he couldn't. So the fact that Congress didn't act appropriately to hold other presidents in check, it's a sad commentary about Congress, but that doesn't mean... That we should let this power that Congress was given and not just the power but the responsibility um, go to waste and, and be like an old rusty sword that's never used. I mean it was designed by the framers. There were these poignant debates. Why do we need impeachment? We've got you know, right. the election system. No, they said it's not enough.
0: And I want to be fair. I don't want to allege that you are the uh, boy who cried wolf. It might well be the case that there really was a
1: wolf in all those past um. Well, instances. I never <laughs> called for the impeachment of Ronald Reagan. Right. and I never called for the impeachment of George Bush. I mean, I think what we had with regard to uh, 43, George W. Bush was was very serious, taking the country to war on basis of deception. I was there for the—I wasn't in Congress, but I lived through the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution. Uh, how many thousands—65,000 Americans died in the Vietnam War. Johnson should have been impeached for that, basically, I think. That was a horrific thing. And here we have George Bush, basically the same thing. Weapons of mass destruction, they knew they were—they were—, they were fiddling with the evidence and they were manipulating the evidence and they were manipulating the CIA. Remember Dick Cheney went down to the CIA headquarters. So the fact that you have or haven't called for the murder prosecution of other murderers doesn't mean that you can't call for the murder prosecution of someone who's committed a murder in front of your face. That's a ridiculous argument. The most important thing is Congress has a responsibility under the constitution And they can't shirk it now.
0: Elizabeth Holtzman, former U.S. Congresswoman from Brooklyn, her new book is The Case for Impeaching Trump. Thank you so much. Thank you. Peanut butter, well, that's how to get rid of gum in the hair. A tomato juice bath, that is how to get rid of uh, when you get sprayed by a skunk or when your golden retriever does. But how to get rid of a president, hmm, they've tried guns and bombs and flying an airplane into the White House. They actually kind of tried that. It was thwarted. They've tried impeachment. They've tried freezing the president out. They've tried denying the president a renomination and everyone's favorite, president loses at the ballot box. A new book. Called How to Get Rid of a President is subtitled History's Guide to Removing Unpopular, Unable, or Unfit Chief Executives. The author is David Priest. Hello, David. How are you? Hello. How are you? So, which president would be a tomato juice bath? Who would that apply to?
2: You know what? Let's go with one of the lesser known ones because no one will be able to call us out. Uh Let's say Franklin Pierce. That's his thing.
0: (laughs) So I love the uh, parts about um, Tyler and Taylor. And this Mm -hmm. is just a strong legislative branch. And, you know, even early, even maybe Monroe, a strong legislative branch just denies Mm -hmm. the guy his agency. But with the presidency becoming more powerful, is that even possible anymore?
2: It, it is possible. There's no reason that we can't revert back to the Article One legislature doing its job, and it's been an aberration for a while. We have the imperial presidency and all of these powers both being taken by and being granted to the executive branch, but there's no reason it has to be that way. In fact, some people thought with the election of 2016 that we would institutionally see that happening. Hasn't worked out, but nothing's stopping it. What about
0: the Andrew Johnson lesson? Is that so far away as to be inapplicable to today?
2: Yeah, the the backstory on Andrew Johnson quickly was that he came into office when Abraham Lincoln was was shot and killed, but he was from a different party, and he was generally an asshat. He didn't treat people well, even his own friends. I think they
0: were called doe faces, but the the technical term was asshat?
2: We'd have to find the primary sources, but I believe that's the connotation, and— He definitely didn't get along with anybody, including people he needed to get on his own side, people who were inclined to believe uh, in him. Still, he alienated them. So he ended up becoming the first impeached president because he just couldn't seem to get along with anybody. Now, that was a case, yes, of Congress exerting itself. I mean, they, they impeached him. They came damn close to removing him. But... It was also a case of institutional restraint because the Republicans had a two-thirds majority in the Senate, which is enough, according to the Constitution, to remove a president who has been impeached. And they still didn't do it because they thought that they could do just as well if he was in office for a few more months and then they get their own guy in.
0: Is the failed conviction, so impeachment failed conviction, did that in any way change the conception of the threshold to impeach a president? And what I specifically mean is there was no underlying crime. There were misdeeds and he was a terrible president and hated, but, you know, it's kind of vague in the constitution as to the definition of high crimes and misdemeanors. So did this change anyone's mind about the threshold for impeachment?
2: You know, it didn't seem to. I found some of the contemporary accounts that talked about why some of the representatives and senators later regretted their votes one way or another, but almost always they regretted it in terms of impeaching him and then voting to convict. But it didn't seem to change the national conversation about impeachment. It was still seen that the impeachment by the House of Representatives itself was a stern rebuke. And it was thought that very impeachment led to a change in the behavior of Andrew Johnson. He was a little bit less of a jerk after this. It seemed like this was his wake-up call, not to mention that he made some promises about things he would do better in order to avoid conviction and removal. But it didn't seem to change the notion of impeachment itself as a rebuke. That came much later with Bill Clinton's impeachment.
0: You know, you mentioned there in that answer that the impeachment itself, I think with uh, President Clinton, it was seen as a failed process, that there was an impeachment and no conviction. And, you know, what a what a, what a shame that was and what egg on the face Congress had. And it would just be seen as, I, I guess, an indictment, no conviction, and the prosecutor would get uh, embarrassed. But back then, Um, it wasn't seen that way. It seemed to have worked. And also the founding fathers, I guess there's some evidence that were that process to play out, even the founding fathers would say, well, that's fine. That's what we had intended.
2: Absolutely. Impeachment doesn't seem to have been intended as only worth it if you get a conviction. The idea was the impeachment itself is a slap across the face. Bill Clinton politically was a master of this, which is he found that he could use the impeachment as a rallying point his popularity ratings rose during his impeachment and his trial in the Senate such that he had higher popularity rating at the end than he did at the beginning of that process. So what where does that leave us in the modern sense? Everyone who has a memory of that, including some senators who are still on Capitol Hill now, they have the memory of if you bring impeachment and you fail to convict, it is a political loss and you look foolish. Okay, that changes the dynamic even in the House of Representatives to bring impeachment. There's no doubt An impeachment resolution could pass on january 4th i I think the votes would be there if people were voting what they thought should happen with this president but that's probably why the house leadership ain't going to bring it up on the house floor because they see they also have to have the goods to deliver for a conviction in the Senate.
0: Okay, but how much is Bill Clinton actually— how much does he actually fit in with the thesis? Because the book is removing unpopular, unable, or unfit chief executives. He was none of those things. This was an attempt to remove someone who was popular and got a lot more popular and certainly able and fit.
2: Right. I'll tell you, he was not unpopular, based if you go based on polls— he was not unable to do the job, but a majority of the House of Representatives thought he was unfit for the office. But then due fitness to the becomes with the grand jury. right. But
0: fitness then at that point becomes uh, just yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy. Fitness is once once we decide you're unfit, it becomes true.
2: Well, that's it. I mean, high crimes and misdemeanors, as you mentioned, aren't well defined in the Constitution, but it seems to be that impeachment is a remedy for an unfit president, somebody who is harming the political fabric itself. Things like. Committing perjury, things like abusing power, things like obstructing justice, definitely fall into that category and have been used as articles of impeachment for everybody from Lyndon Johnson, I'm sorry, Andrew Johnson, through Dick Nixon, through Bill Clinton. That is what impeachment is about. Now, the fact is the Senate didn't agree that there was worthy removal. Why? Because of that, that word high, and with Bill Clinton, we got to be careful how we use that word. Uh-huh. But the idea was that the high in high crimes and misdemeanors has to do with whether it affects matters of state. And they said, yes, Bill Clinton committed perjury. Yes, Bill Clinton obstructed justice. But he was doing it to cover up a personal affair. He wasn't doing it in order to exploit the government for his own uh, pocketbook or to actually destroy the government in some way. So that's, I think, how senators came down on it and said, yes, The things he did were abhorrent. Personally, he shouldn't have done it. But you don't remove a president for doing those things when it's about a personal issue.
0: Okay, and that is why there in the last week there was a question or a debate question or uh, they'd throw a hypothetical to, you know, a newsman would throw a hypothetical to a pundit. Do you think this, what we know about Donald Trump paying off a porn star to to uh, subvert campaign finance laws. You know, is that alone impeachable? And then the debate, if you want to say yes, you would talk about, you know, the threat to democracy and how it also, there was the attendant um, blind eye to any Russian interference that went along with it. And if you want Mm -hmm. to say no, you would analogize it to Bill Clinton, maybe John Edwards, but since Clint was president, you'd find enough overlap. Oh, it's about the embarrassment of an affair. Now, I don't think it's even worth Getting into the hypothetical, because I think a lot of other things are going to come out so that we won't be asking ourselves, oh, is this FEC violation uh, sufficient to impeach the president? But what do you think of that question?
2: Right. It really goes back to a line that I found from Gerald Ford. Before he was president, he was involved in the House of Representatives with uh, an impeachment of a judge. And he said, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors and therefore impeachment is whatever the House of Representatives decides it is. Mm -hmm. And that is it's left up to each individual member to decide, does this rise to that threshold? Well, I got to tell you, there's a difference between lying about a personal affair because you're embarrassed if it gets out and lying about an affair by paying money when it comes to an election campaign, trying to silence someone during the election campaign for the purpose of getting elected that changes things a bit, doesn't it? I mean, think that, that's a different dynamic for why you're doing it than, oh, I'd be embarrassed if somebody finds that I like women who aren't my wife. Well, there was plenty of proof of that, and the, Donald Trump does not appear to be ashamed by any of that side of it. It appears to have been linked to the campaign itself. So that that is something that some people on the Hill could interpret, but that's only one thing, and there are several other things that sure look like the kinds of things the founders were talking about in terms of... Corruption getting into office or in terms of abusing the power of the office to protect oneself against criminal investigations Those are the things that honestly, I'm interested in two things going forward one is what the special counsel investigation finds because the Investigatory tools that the special counsel has are well beyond what we've seen in public reporting and then number two I want to see the actual articles of impeachment because if they have specific acts that are no kidding obstruction of justice um, that's going to be a lot harder for people just to excuse away. Yeah,
0: and to get to let our audience in on this, how many times have you sat across a desk or a table or touched knees with uh, Robert Mueller?
2: Oh, I did not count the times, but it was five or six days a week for more than a year when I was his daily intelligence briefer. I was at CIA. He was director of the FBI. and I got to know he, the way he thinks really well and know how he approaches complex issues and things like this. And I have no shortage of faith, based on evidence of working with him, that if there's somebody who will not let any stone go unturned, uh, it's Bob Mueller.
0: Okay, I have two more questions. One is, a recent poll showed that 62% of Americans think that Trump has been untruthful about the Russian probe. And one might say, oh, that's a clear majority. And I might say, what the hell's wrong with the other 38%? Um, because history happens, we think it's inevitable. And I'm really familiar through Slowburn and other reading. I'm really familiar with how late in the game it was for the public to turn on Nixon. What's the usual course of public opinion? Is it late to the game? Are right now, we in a position where a surprisingly significant part of the public is still not seeing what is in clear sight about the unfitness or inability of the chief executive. And therefore, he's not as unpopular as he needs to be.
2: Yeah, we get into some issues of psychology and framing here in terms of are people seeing it and excusing it away? Are people seeing it but not understanding it? Or are people literally not seeing it? That is, they don't see because of the polarized media. Right, right, they're
0: siloed in their information. They literally don't see these
2: things. Um, I was shocked just recently to see that when Michael Flynn was in court and there was supposed to be a sentencing going on, it was the headlines on virtually every media outlet out there. And then I saw on Fox News, the the main story was about whether uh, cookies are male or female. Uh And I thought, now I'm beginning to understand that 62 38%. Because when you've got people who aren't seeing the news as it is reported through most outlets, if they're only getting their news through one or a few primary outlets that don't cover that same information, well, they're literally not seeing the situation the same way as the rest of us. We haven't had a president who from beginning to end, which is the way it's looking, has had this low of a floor. The, the The issue is, how come it hasn't moved lower with some of these revelations coming out? Right, and that's— That's hard to and say. That's my that question. might be an information are we, bias. Are
0: we in a unique position in terms of mm-hmm. here? Let us compare this president to the amount of evidence that has been presented to right. argue for his uh, inability to do the job. Compare it to other presidents at this point. Is this president doing better? Yep.
2: He's doing better in that he still has, in a sense, part of that polarized media and even part of this party he hijacked to to support him. Now, what does that mean, though? Well, either you have what we would call the elites saying, you know what? We realize that the general public isn't all seeing the same information and so it's incumbent upon us in, let's say, an impeachment hearing or then the conviction trial in the Senate, it's incumbent upon us to look at the actual information rather than the media spin. Okay, so that's job one. But Jim Comey said it in April of this year earlier, as you referred to. He said, short of something that is catastrophic, we should not impeach the president because that's a decision that belongs with the American people, and they need to be responsible for doing this directly instead of having it done for them indirectly. Well, tell you what, 62 to 38% would put this in one of the most catastrophic elections in history if those numbers are somewhat relevant to how the election turns out. Right.
0: And here's my last question. In the past, when we have gotten rid of the president by nonviolent means, when we've decided, we've, our elected officials, got together and decided, well, this went poorly, um, has America— actually flourished as a result. I know the lesson of Watergate, and after Watergate, there were all these sunshine laws and uh, reforms swept through Congress and our national politics, but what about the other times?
2: I gotta tell you, in writing this book, I felt like I was going to a very dark place. I was writing about presidents who had severe depression and were incapacitated, unable to make decisions, including Abraham Lincoln for part of the time he was in the White House. I was writing about people who were actually taken out by assassins. I was writing stories about presidents who lost their own parties and got kicked out of their own party while president. This is a dark political history. But by the end, I realized, wait a minute, I'm looking at this the wrong way. The story here isn't about all the bad presidents we've had. The story here is how we have survived as a country, even thrived as a country, because we have actually gotten through some crappy leaders, and the system— has worked. What makes us unique isn't the fact that we elect leaders. Every country selects a leader somehow. What makes us unique is we have a method every four years, and sometimes not four years, less or more, but we have a system by which, through several means, we can get rid of presidents without going into a civil war or a coup every single time. That leaves me feeling somewhat optimistic that when we go through a time like this, we end up getting stronger as a result, even if the process itself doesn't feel that way.
0: All right. I know I, I said I was done with my questions, but I just have one more because you raised it. Are cookies mm-hmm. male or female?
2: I think cookies are whatever you want them to be. Oh. You can make that cookie. It's, it's one of those where you project onto the cookie what you need the most at that moment. And I've had some some really good cookies that I honestly didn't know and I didn't care. Sweet.
0: David Priest is the author of How to Get Rid of a President History's Guide to Removing Unpopular, Unable, or Unfit Chief Executives. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you.
2: Thanks for the chat. It was fun.
0: And that's it for today's show. There must be fifty ways to remove a president. Yes, fifty ways to remove a president. Just producers Pierre Bienmee and Daniel Schrader know that you just push him over, Grover. You call the Popo, Woodrow. T.D. Raphael, senior producer of Slate Podcast says, you give him some spoiled sherbert, Herbert and listen to me the gist, you arrange for his ruin, Martin Van Buren let's just end it there (laughs) and thanks for listening